there's only one green in here. Sorry. Amen. Tonight, my message is on birds in the Bible. <laughs> but I know where it's at. Amen. Amen. I know it's at. Amen. Book of First Timothy. Sure glad you came back tonight. I don't know how the roads are, but I don't reckon they're too wonderful. I'm sure glad you came. First Timothy chapter 1, we didn't get very far, but just far enough to know we need to keep going on. First Timothy chapter 1. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible that we can completely trust in and rest assured that in it contains exactly what we need for every day and every step of our life. Father, we're sure thankful that it doesn't need to be rewritten. It doesn't need to be revised. It just needs to be reread. Now, Father, I pray that you open our eyes one more time that we may hold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I pray that you teach us the scriptures and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And dear Lord, I pray that you bless our people that can't be here but want to be here. Lord, I know there's about six to eight people that want to be here but can't be. And Father, I pray that you give them a special uh, blessing tonight. And those who have chosen to uh, visit us with live stream, Lord, that are faithful, I pray that you bless them and their families. And Father, I pray that you uh, uh, bring the sick out of the bed. And Lord, I pray that you help us to... Uh, Get this new year started right and please you with every uh, step and breath we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we left off in uh, uh, discussing about Paul, an apostle, and the things that necessitates being an apostle. We didn't go to all of them, but the main one we covered is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Of course, we're keying off the first verse, 1 Timothy 1 1, that says, Paul, an apostle. And over in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, uh, we showed you that uh, part of the requirements, prerequisite for being an apostle, is you have to have seen Jesus Christ the Lord. So you automatically know, and I uh, probably sound like I'm beating the same old drum, but it's a drum worth beating that these phonies that call themselves apostles, they're just a bunch of liars. And if you come across someone that said they've met the Lord bodily, you know he's smoking some good stuff. Because the Lord don't work that way no more. He's giving you his written word. I'm serious. Because they're out there and they're a dime a dozen in this community. You've got doctors. You've got uh, people of notoriety in this community alone that uh, they're so charismatic in nature. They're just, they're full. The devil is what they are and they're liars. And they say they're apostle this and they're bishop that. And Revelation chapter 2 verse 2 tells you that they're nothing more than a bunch of liars. And so uh, we gave you, we told you about the 12 apostles. And that first bunch is found in Matthew chapter 10. Of course, Judas, he falls. He was the devil. He fell and was replaced by Matthias. And he was replaced in Acts 1.26. And then this passage of scripture here, Acts 1.23 to 26, you have the first 12 apostles are fixed with Matthias being the replacement for Judas. 
And in Revelation 21.14, those twelve are referred to as the apostles of the Lamb. And the names of those apostles are engraved upon the, the foundations of the New Jerusalem. That's pretty important stuff. And, of course, we went over the rest of the apostles you can find in the Bible. Paul's number 13. We said Barnabas is number 14. Silas is number 15. Uh, Timothy's number 16. And you have two characters in Romans, Junia, uh, 17, and Andronicus, uh, number 18. And they're also re referenced as apostles. And uh, being apostles, uh, quite a thing, and a, quite a ministry. In Acts chapter 1 through 10, we showed you, and or we rather told you, if you read those first 10 chapters, you'll see how important the apostles were. They were necessary for the formation of the early church. In other words, that thing wasn't quite set up. And the Lord used those apostles and he used signs and he used wonders because he's still dealing with his people. He's still dealing with the Jews. And uh, we stopped this morning on that piece about Matthias. And that great practical teaching is this. Uh, you never hear, hear a word about Matthias, do you? Not until Acts chapter 1. You don't hear a word about uh, Matthias there. And the practical application is this, that Matthias, he was, uh, he was a good bench warmer. And maybe he was just a servant. And uh, he just hung around the other disciples all the time. He was faithful. But you never hear anything mentioned about him until Judas uh, blows it. And Judas, he gets bounced out and he goes back to his own place, the Bible uh, says. And he was uh, basically what we said. He's just a water boy of no importance, but he's there, he's faithful, and when the time comes to replace him, guess what? The Lord plugs him in and he gets his name on the foundations of the walls of the New Jerusalem. So he left off this morning saying, man, one of the most practical things you can do with your Christian life is just be faithful. There are several people in the Bible that hardly anything is mentioned about him at all. And there's, there's you know, there's actually something wrong with this, this thing that uh, we as Christians many times and many Christians won't do anything unless they can have a name about themselves. The Bible says over the book of Job, someone get me that reference, but it says uh, the servant desireth the shadow. If you're going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, a true servant, you know what you don't want? You don't want it trumpeted about you. That's hard. Why? By nature, you and I want to be recognized. By nature, you and I want to get along with people. Say it again. Look at Job chapter 7. I'll show you the true nature of a servant before we go back to Timothy. You know, some people, oh, it must be terrible to be a servant. Now, you know, you think of uh, people of upper class, they have servants, right? They have, uh, and sometimes, uh, I'll just say it, I don't care, I'm not afraid, and people think I'm some racist, they can, they can go fly a kite. Uh, you'll see these ritzy people, they'll have Latino servants. They do. They'll have Pedro cutting the grass, right? You know, and they'll have, you know, wee shwa shwang, you know, uh, picking apples out of the orchard. That's what they do. And uh, because they're there, they're able to send money back to their, whatever, the, their home country. And people think nothing of that, but, I mean, really? You know, and, and you're like, well, you know, it's just, it's just so terrible, so wrong. You go to McDonald's half the time, don't you? And what do they do? They take your order and they serve you. And if they don't do it right, you scream at them, and then Brian kicks you out. <laughs> right? <laughs> but Job, uh, if I can find Job, chapter 7, look at this. 
I want you to see the, the real estimation of a servant. Now, you find out what a servant is in Philippians chapter 2, what lines up with Jesus Christ, but here's an interesting take on it. Uh, Job chapter 7, verse 2, the Bible says, As a servant earnestly desireth a shadow, and as in hiring a looker for the reward of his work. And, and he's making two comparisons there. A hireling's one's got to have money for his work. And uh, so he's looking for the reward, but the servant, you know, the right kind of servant is? He's just looking to get out the way. A, a true servant doesn't need to be recognized. A true servant doesn't, can I say this in application to what we're saying? A true servant, you know, it's all right. I don't have to have my name engraved upon the walls in New Jerusalem. <laughs> You know, but, you know, churches all the time, and, and uh, I'm not talking about this one, but I've heard stories, I've seen things take place, and unless there's some kind of recognition, they won't do it. Unless they can get their name on a pew, unless they can get their name on a plaque, unless they get their name on a brick, unless they can say, look what I've done, and, and look what I've contributed, they won't do it. Well, that's not a servant, that's a hireling. That's someone that's got to have the reward. Let me tell you what, if you're here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, your reward ain't down here. Your reward's up there. And that's the hardest thing because your world that you live in, the world that I live in, says you need gratification now. You need satisfaction now. And if you're not noticing me, you're not paying me, you're not recognizing my name, and you're not moving me forward in my social circle, well then uh, there's nothing in it for me, therefore I don't want to be a part of it. But the practical application here is Matthias. As he was just there. He was just a water boy. He's just a bench warmer. He's on the bench. I imagine with some of them big games last night, there were some team players that sat on the bench and thought, man, man, put me in. I just want to get out there and hit somebody. But I imagine there's people that sat on the bench the entire game. And uh, can I tell you, it's all right. To, I'm not going to re-preach the message I preached a while back. It's all right to sit on the bench. It's okay to be second fiddle. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Just you know, you know, it's just it's okay to sit the bench. It's okay. Not why? Because the more you're up here, the more you're in the spotlight, the more your flaws are magnifying. You see that? The more the lights on you, the easier it is to see where you got dirt on your face. The more you're in the spotlight, the hotter it is. You know one thing I hated about being in the position the ice cream company I was? Everybody's looking at you. The higher you go, the more they look at you. And I remember I'd gotten promoted and was, you know, semi-big. I mean, it was a big dog, just relatively speaking. But, you know, in the, in the company, I was a relatively medium dog. And the higher you go, everyone gets to looking at you. And when things go wrong, you're the first person they come to. You really want that? No, I want the notoriety. I want the recognition. I want my name on the plaque. But when things are wrong, it's her fault. All right, so that's Matthias. So we said this morning, be faithful. Be faithful. The Lord needs you. Can you be that clutch guy? Can you be the clutch man when Jesus Christ needs you? Or is this just something you grew up in? Well, you know, it's just what we always do. You just go to church. All right, let's move on. So... A lot of people in the Bible only mentioned a couple times. You see the rest of the apostles laid out there. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, 
which is our hope. I want you to see Paul's apostleship was proved by a couple things. Paul's apostleship here tonight, uh, according to the Bible, is proved by a couple things. Uh, why is he an apostle? Well, he had some requirements he met, but a couple of these things were proved by a number of things. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's apostleship was proved by a number of things. 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So here Paul's apostleship is proved by the will of God. You see it? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And his apostleship was proved uh, by the will of God, 2 Timothy 1.1. It was the will of God for Paul to be an apostle. Not only that, look at Titus chapter 1. Next book over, 1 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Titus 1.1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. All right, so you got Paul's apostleship was proved by what? The will of God, but here it's proven by the faith of God. You see that? I'll give you another one, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, his apostleship was proven by a number of things. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. All right, so Paul's apostleship, first of all, was by the will of God. Number two, by the faith of God. And here it is, uh, the calling of God. It says, called to be an apostle. Who called him? Mama didn't do it. There's a lot of preachers that are mama called. That's a, that's a mistake. I know, I know preachers in pulpit, they were in the pulpit because their daddy wanted them in there. That's usually a disaster. You know, I tell my sons, unless the Lord sticks that thing on you and forces you into it, don't even talk about it. <laughs> well, that's a terrible attitude to have. Shut your mouth. You have no idea what you're saying. You don't want someone in the pulpit that God don't want in there. That thing's a disaster. This ain't no circus. But you want to see a sheep show, you get a man in the pulpit who daddy called. That thing ain't going to get nobody fed. It's just fleecing everybody and getting everyone all worked up. All right, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of God. So his apostleship was proven by the calling of God. But go back to 1 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. Paul adds something else to it. Here's a fourth thing. Paul adds something else that proves his apostleship. 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. You see those four things? You've got the calling of God, you've got the will of God, you've got the faith of God, and here you've got the commandment of God. So Paul, he's an apostle by those four things, and he adds here the commandment of God. Why? Because he's ready to give Timothy some instruction. And as we said it this morning, Timothy's a young preacher, he needs instruction. Amen? If you're a young man, if you're an old man, you need instruction. Now notice in 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, look what it says, which is our hope. Now of course you know this, but this isn't talking about I hope to be saved or I hope I am saved or I sure hope so and maybe so and kind of think so. That's not what he's talking about here. Look over Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, this hope has nothing to do with I hope I'm saved. This hope has to do with an appearing of a person. One thing you need to understand in the Bible, you get in the Pauline epistles, he starts talking about hope, has nothing to do with I hope so. It has something to do with the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
that hope has to do with the appearing of a person. And Romans 8, 24, Paul says, For we are saved by hope. Amen. Why? We're going to show you. But hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. All right, so it's not I'm hoping that I'm saved. Our hope is that the Lord is coming back. Not that we're hoping He does, but we're hoping because He is. Look at Hebrews 6.19. You have to approach your King James Bible uh, opposite the way the world teaches you to talk. And the world teaches you whenever you see hope, you're hoping because you're not sure. But in the Bible, when it says hope, it's talking about appearance of Jesus Christ, and we know He's coming back. Why? He said He was. Hebrews 6.19. Notice what Paul says. Verse 19, which hope? You see it? Hope to be saved? No. Watch the verse. Which hope we have as a what? An anchor of the soul. Now listen, if you weren't sure Jesus Christ was coming back, could you anchor your soul to that thing? If you weren't sure Jesus Christ was coming back, wouldn't that terrify you? Wouldn't that just petrify you? But you know He's coming back because the Bible said it was, and that thing will anchor your soul to the haven of rest. And it will get you through the tough times. It says, uh, He's the anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast. What does that mean? It means it can't move. That's a blessing. Which entereth into that within the veil. What a blessing. Our hope is Jesus Christ. That's no hope, so salvation. That's hope in a person that has already left but is coming back. And you know why? He told us. John 14. Look at it with me. John chapter 14. I'm telling you what, Christian, it is good to be reminded that Jesus Christ is coming back. I mean, that is the only thing that makes sense post-COVID. It does. John 14. Your country has gone slap bonkers since that bug showed up. And it ain't recovered. It ain't recovered. The housing market hasn't recovered. The car market hasn't recovered. The grocery prices haven't recovered. But Jesus Christ is still coming back. That's the only thing that makes sense. John 14, 1 to 4. Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Why is he gone? He's building you a mansion. Well, you know, I just, I don't really think, I don't care what you think. He said he's building you a mansion. You going to call him a liar? Well, you know, the, child, the saint of God gets New Jerusalem. You think the Lord can't build a mansion and put it in the New Jerusalem? That's a blessing. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see where it says, I receive you unto myself? That's a rapture. He's going to receive you unto himself. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. That's the hope of Jesus Christ. He says, and whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And that's a blessing. We're looking for that coming. We've got Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, the hope is in the appearance of a person. That hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Titus chapter 2. It tells you to look for His coming. It tells you to look for His coming. 2.13. 2.13, the Bible says, looking for that blessed hope. Well, you know, I was looking at the stocks the other day. That's depressing, ain't it? 
uh, first of all, I don't spend any time because I ain't got any stocks. Uh, maybe one day. Uh, I, th I think there might be a little bit somewhere, but I wouldn't even know where to look because you got a financial advisor that does that for you, you know what I mean? And, uh, well, I see Apple's up, and I, I see Amazon's down, and Dollar General is always kind of on the top. Of, who cares, man? <laughs> look at 213. I'm to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So what do the Charismatics and the Free Will Baptists do with that? You say, wait, whoa, 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 what, what are you talking about? I said, what do the Charismatics and the Free Will Baptists do with that? You see, the Charismatics and the Free Will Baptists don't believe in eternal security. Aren't you glad you know that you're saved? Aren't you glad you got it nailed down? Aren't you glad that even if you wake up and you decide you don't want to be saved, it's too bad, <laughs> you're saved. <laughs> he says he cannot deny himself. I mean, you're in his body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You couldn't get out if you tried. <laughs> what are the charismatics and the free will going to do with that? I mean, uh, what are they going to look for if they don't even know for sure they're saved? Well, looking is looking for a person. How do you know? Watch the verse again. Looking for that blessed hope. What's the blessed hope for a Christian? This is the rest of the verse. The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If your hope is anything else but Jesus Christ, you got the wrong hope. That's it. has to be in Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Timothy, look at verse 2. 1 Timothy 1, 2, the Bible says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to notice the order in that verse. Grace is first, then mercy. Peace is always last. Grace always comes before peace. You want peace in the Christian life? You're going to have to experience His grace. Why? It's sufficient. You'll have to have grace to be saved and grace to do various things in your life. But you always have to have His grace before you get to peace. Too many Christians want peace and just peace to do whatever the fire of the cat hair they want, but they never ask for His grace. you got to have His grace. Grace is first, mercy is next, peace is last. And you know what grace is? What is grace? One fellow said it's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a pretty good acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. But grace is something you and I don't deserve. We don't deserve His grace. Uh, you say, well, what is mercy? Well, mercy is God showing kindness to you. Amen? You know, we preach kind of tough sometimes and uh, say stuff the old preachers say, like you ought to be in hell with gasoline britches, and it's only His mercy that we're not. I know it's catchy and kind of chuckle. Yeah, I ought to be in hell with gasoline You ought to be. You ought to be burning in there hell right now with your back broke. I mean, that's why it's so important to take time, do the Lord's Supper, and Remember his death till he comes because he tasted death for all men so you didn't have to. By one man sin entered into the world so that death by sin so that all have sin. And because of one man's sin, a one man that was sinless had to die. The Bible says he became the propitiation for our sin. That's the only pleasing sacrifice. Why in the world would you sacrifice the only pure and innocent thing so a bunch of wicked rotten sinners could go free? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, would you sacrifice your only son for... Uh, you know, that was pure and sinless and a little child there, would you go ahead and offer that child up for a bunch of wicked, rotten sinners? Heck no, you wouldn't. You'd shoot anyone that tried to hurt them. Think what Jesus Christ did for you and me. 
Well, mercy. That's God showing kindness to you because of Jesus Christ at salvation. That's why God shows you mercy is because of His Son. See, when you sin in your life and you do things, you incur the wrath of God, but Jesus Christ says, Lord, I paid for him. He says, okay. Appeases the wrath of God. And then after all that, you still get the dessert. That's called peace. And that's the peace that passeth all understanding. You notice in verse 2, Paul calls Timothy, my own son in the faith. And like we discussed on the introductory material, uh, we told you before, when you get saved, you have uh, what you'd be considered spiritual fathers. But you'll notice the statement here is telling. You say, what's it telling? <laughs> it tells you that Paul's a soul winner. That's what it's really telling you. Not that he's just, you know, Timothy's uh, spiritual father, but what he's saying is, look, I'm a soul winner. And I'm going after souls. So here's the question. Here's where we put it on you. Are you a soul winner? Are you a soul winner? Do you have any spiritual children? See, Paul won Timothy to the Lord, and he just didn't let him die in the vine. He stuck with him. He discipled him. Now, look, I know discipleship is hard. It's tedious. And a lot of times, discipleship don't produce a full, mature Christian. Amen, amen. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Been there, done there, got the T-shirt, but that doesn't mean you don't try. Right? Do you have any spiritual children? Let me ask you this question. How are they doing? Now, look, the entire Christian life isn't about reproduction. Just like your marriage, the entire thing is not reproduction. My soul, you think some people think it was. They take Genesis chapter 9 and 10 so personally, they don't populate the entire world. But that's not, that's not a marriage. We okay? We doing all right? I'm not out of bounds. I'm telling you the truth. That, that intimacy is a very small part of a marriage, but how about learning to live with each other? But are you, are you watching after them? Do you have any spiritual children? How come you're not watching after them? Are you praying for them? You say, well, what's the problem? I don't know. You got kids, right? You make sure your kids got food. You make sure your kids got nice clothes. Usually the mother does. The father's, I'm just, I didn't know you had holes in your pants. I, whatever, you don't look, you don't, whatever. My mother, when I was a kid growing up, my mother always made sure I had nice clothes. Many times she's like, don't tell your dad unless you have some new clothes. <laughs> you say, why? Well, that's the way she was. She wanted to make sure I looked nice. She wanted to make sure her boy looked handsome. Right? <clears throat> you do that for your spiritual converts. You try to make them look nice. Just call, check up on them, see how they're doing. Get them some new clothes. Give them some new material. Challenge them to do better. Challenge them to pray. Did you pray with them yourself? <clears throat> you know, I remember about my mother. I went through some difficult times learning how to ride a bike as a child. Amen? And I remember times I'd fall down and waste that thing and on that big old huffy banana seat bike and tear my knees, just slap up. There was Ma making sure she helped me get up. And there was Dad laughing. <laughs> Don't lie. You do the same thing. <laughs> right? There's Ma. Oh, come here, honey. It's okay. Dad's like, oh, get back on and go again, you know. He's a good dad, you know. But uh, when your converts uh, get down and discouraged, do you try to help them? Or you like dad in the background, laugh at them. Pretty funny. I'll tell you a story. It's not funny, but you, some of you might laugh. I was doing some, uh, some work for this uh, one feller who used to be a police officer, 
And uh, at that time, he thought the Lord called him to be a missionary. He went to missionary field for just a little bit of time, came back, so forth and so on. But anyways, we're having this theological discussion in his driveway. And his daughter was young, probably about eight or nine. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, look at me. I'm riding my bike. And she's tooling around the bike. And just going fast. And man, she just wiped out like nobody's business. And I crack up. Dumb move. And Dad's looking at me like, you laughing at my daughter. When your converts fall down, do you laugh at them? You tell them, well, it's your bed. You made it. You lay in it. You biffed it. I'm just trying to put it on you. You got any spiritual children? They fall down and hurt themselves. You pick them up. You try to take them to Dr. Jesus and get fixed. How come it ain't that way when you win someone to Jesus Christ? Isn't that a strange thing? Look at Genesis chapter 1. I'll show you something that most of you already know. Genesis chapter 1. What we lack in this generation is discipleship. I'll say it again. What we lack around here is discipleship. You want to know why? Everyone's too busy to help somebody. Everyone's too busy. And after a while, can I be honest with you? It gets boring helping people. It does. You know why? Christians need a lot of help, especially new ones. You raise children, let me tell you what. Take, about, take your stinking life breath out of you some days. And after a while, you're like, I've told them 20 times, and they're still doing it. And you're like, you're not going to make it to five. And that's the same way with a Christian, young Christian. You know why you don't understand that? You don't disciple them. I'm not beating you up. I'm just saying when you care about people, you'll take time with them. And when you help people, it gets boring. You're like, you feel like you're wasting your time, but you're not. You just disciple them. Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, uh, chapter 1, yeah, verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. God saw that it was good. You see that? After his kind. Look at 21, verse 21. God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. Every winged fowl after his kind. Not, not only is that great material against evolution, you're not going to get a hummingbird from a hippopotamus. That's quite a combo. You know, a hippo hummingbird or whatever you call that thing. It says after his kind, but that's, uh, that's teaching us something else. It's teaching us when there's a creation, right? We're a new creature, right? But when we're a creature, a new creature, that new creation, it's created after the thing that created it. You pick it up? You know what Timothy is for Paul? He's after Paul's kind. Paul is a preacher. Guess what Timothy is? Timothy's a preacher. You see it? You know what you'll generally produce as a Christian? What you are. Generally. You're a faithful church member. You know what you'll produce? Faithful church members. You love reading the Bible. You know what you'll produce? Young Christians that love the Bible. If you're a preacher, you know what you'll produce? Probably some preachers. Now I was thinking back... Uh, uh, led one fellow to Christ kind of inadvertently, not 100% credit, but Lord give me a little bit of credit for it. And you know, it took him about nine years, but he's a preacher. So what about that? 
does something after his kind. That's a lesson to be learned. So, how come the ones that you want to Christ don't live up to the way you say you are? Fair enough? Maybe you ain't what you think you are. Now, look, Paul's getting ready to die, and he's given instruction to Timothy, and Timothy is just like him. And some people say, well, I ain't going to follow a man. Then don't follow one. Follow yourself. Go ahead and be a jerk. Help yourself. But you're not a man. Because you can't follow a man who follows God, and that's how that thing runs. Look at verse 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look, a few of in here, people in here lead people to Christ. I know that. It's a good thing. And if you don't lead people to Christ, then there's something wrong with you in the sense that either you're not developed yet, or there's something missing. Something missing. All right? But if you can lead someone to Christ and then disciple that person, get them grounded, get them out of that baby Christian stage. I mean, you know how babies are, right? Someone say amen. I mean, good night times, babies get on your nerves. And, and now it's like babies get on my nerves all the time because parents no longer train their children. It seems like. You know, you have kids six, seven, and eight in Walmart that, they just need a stinking apple shoved in their mouth. Yeah, amen. 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 They do. And you need, they need to be taken out back and dealt with lovingly and correctively. <laughs> right? I mean, back in the day, and I know, you say, well, preacher, you know, you, you catch up with... No, I'm not going to catch up with the times. And I look, you've got to be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves, right? But the Bible's still right, and this world's still wrong. But back in the day, before America totally hated God and the Bible, when I messed around here at what is now, is it Neiman's? Is that what it's called? Grandma Jacobs took me out of the store and whipped my hind end in the parking lot. And she didn't care nothing about it. She's listening, she's embarrassed. Probably not, she could care less. <laughs> but not say, what happened? Well, I didn't act up in the store anymore. Or at least I thought twice about it. Like, yeah, is it worth it? Eh, no, it's not. Right? Men, we're gamblers. You know, does mom hit that hard? Eh, yeah, I still don't like it. I don't think I'll do it. But you know how babies are. They get about two or three year olds and they seem to get worse, don't they? They do. You get about two or three years old babies and they get to pouting all the time. You know, stick the lip out. They do. And uh, you know what I know about two or three-year-old babies? You have a hard time getting them to come to the table and eat. You picking it up yet? Some baby Christians don't know when to come eat. Now you're here tonight and you're eating. I ain't getting on you, obviously. But uh, listen, uh, you and I, we got to help them along, right? We got to help them along. Paul and Timothy helped him along, and look what happened. He became a pastor at the church of Ephesus. I wonder what Paul thought when uh, Timothy took over that church. I bet, you, I bet you Paul just went, well, praise God. Look at that boy. Ten years, following me around, getting on my nerves, always wore that white shirt and always carried that big old Bible, just always, always had to you know, think he knew something and ask me questions just to see what I knew or so I'd hear what he had. And then finally became a pastor. Praise the Lord. Look at that. You know what I know Paul wasn't? He wasn't jealous. 
He's like, my goodness, sir, this place needs more pastors and preachers than I could attend to. God bless you, boy. <laughs> Go win a bunch more. And uh, I'd like to see Paul's look on his face when old Timothy, after 10 years of serving Paul faithfully and being Paul's minister, he goes up and he saddles up and becomes a pastor. Oh, what a blessing. Amen? What a blessing. And uh, wouldn't you like to have someone like that in your fruit? Wouldn't you like to have a Timothy in your basket? Amen? Well, why don't you go get one? I'm picking at it. Preacher, just picking at it. Just go get you a Timothy, man. Get one this week. The problem is, is you, you're looking for someone already developed. Look at yourself. When you got saved, you, <laughs> you were developed. Like, my goodness. You ever look at yourself and when you got saved and think, what in the world the Lord seeing me? Nothing. Actually, he did. He saw where you had become. Amen. That's why the Lord shows up to Gideon and says, Thou mighty man of valor, and that sucker's hiding in the wheat field, threshing wheat, scared of the Amorites. Amen. And the Lord's like, Yeah, he's hiding today, but you got to see him in battle a couple years from now. He's going to tear it up. That's what the Lord sees. The power of God on you. So go get you one. Go get you Timothy. Why not see if you can get in down at the nursing home? Why not? Why not see if you can go down and get in the jail? I've tried four or five times. They don't want nothing to do with me. You know why? They know I'm a preacher. Maybe they take you. I don't know. I mean, they'd probably give you back. <laughs> Why'd you go try? You pushing me into a ministry? No. Just go get you Timothy. Go get you some fruit. That's all I'm saying. Why not take time and get you some tracks and witness to some of the old friends you got? Amen. I mean, the friends that knew you before you made a profession of faith, those friends. Then uh, if you can win one or two of them to the Lord, then why don't you go ahead and get beside them? Try to bring them up with you. Try to help them along the way. And listen, they need help to grow. We all need help to grow. Uh, ain't no one going to grow on their own unless the Holy Spirit of God gets on that thing and someone has some grace with you. I'm sure glad some men have had grace with me. Amen? You say, why? Because when you grow in the Lord, you are going to be a pain in the neck. You better just settle it. You're going to be a pain in the neck if you're going to grow in Jesus Christ. All your blossoming for Jesus is not going to be beautiful. Some of it's going to be like, oh, man, look at the thorns. You know, and as you grow in Jesus Christ, you know, one of the first things you're going to have to deal with? Your flesh. And for a while there, it's going to be fleshly things. And Man, I can't get the victory over fleshly things and fleshly things and fleshly things. And that's David down in the Valley of Eli trying to fight Goliath. He's fighting his habits. He's fighting his flesh. But you notice later on in David's life, he gets over there with Ishmael at 70 years old. You know, the giant changes. See, after you're done battling with your flesh for a while, you know what'll happen? Then, you're, you, then you'll, have to, you'll have to battle your spiritual life because then you'll know so much more Bible than everybody else does. And then you'll be too lazy to read your Bible and pray. I mean, you'll be clean. You won't go here, you won't do that, and you'll have good standards, amen. And you'll have personal holiness sewed up pretty decent, but you'll be so proud. And then the battle changes. Then Ishmael, at seven years old, he's got six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, and now he's got more to get a hold of you with. You see that? Why? Because you're too lazy to study. 
And uh, but if you're going to grow in the Lord, uh, you're going to help somebody grow. Man, they're going to be a pain in the neck. And never forget you were a pain in the neck. But the more you went to Jesus Christ, never forget you might just get a Timothy out of that thing. You see how the Lord's blessed you? Do you? Do you really see how the Lord's blessed you? What if the Lord has blessed you some fruit like He's blessed you? Wouldn't that be good? Some of you gifted musicians. What if the Lord uh, lets you win someone to Jesus Christ 20 years from now? They're up here playing. I don't know how y'all think this thing's going to go on 20 years from now. But it ain't going to go on if we don't go win some people to Jesus Christ. And I'm not getting on you. I'm just saying, I'm laying it on you. I'm not getting on you. I'm like, look, where's your Timothy? You got to go get you one. Amen. That's how it goes. And the Lord just might give you Timothy. Look at verse 3. We'll move on from that. He says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Notice that word shows up, doctrine. So here it shows up. And this is the doctrine of uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Run over there real quick. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. The word doctrine shows up here in Timothy. And in Titus chapter 1, and verse 9, notice what it says. Paul says to his other preacher boy, Titus, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now you'll notice that as soon as Timothy begins to receive some instruction from, from Paul, the old preacher, as soon as he begins to get the instruction, notice the emphasis on doctrine. You see what I mean? It's not tradition. It's not this is just the way we always do it. We're not going to do it any other way because we don't eat this on Friday and we don't go here on Monday. It's doctrine. Doctrine. He instructs Timothy on doctrine. Doctrine is important. Christian, you can't forget how important doctrine is. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So how many, how many of you heard me say that uh, the first application of Scripture is doctrine? You heard that before I even said it. How many of you know that? Raise your hand. Okay, a handful of you. <clears throat> Guess what? You realize why this book was written was not to get you saved. The main reason this book is written to give you sound doctrine. And once you get a hold of sound doctrine, you will get saved. Not in a Calvinistic sense, but the main reason this book was written to give you sound doctrine. All right, so this is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the first application of Scripture, again, is what? Doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine is the thing that God had on His mind when He told the people to pen down Scriptures. And He said the first application is doctrine. And people get messed up with doctrine. Uh, let me give you a couple of references here where Paul gives Timothy some charges on doctrine to 1st, 2nd uh, Timothy and Titus. These are admonitions on doctrine. Let's look at them real quick if we can. 1st Timothy 1.10. Uh, 1st Timothy 1.10. I want to read the verse and move on. But I want to give you, there's such an emphasis on doctrine, you can't miss it. 1st Timothy 1.10. Uh, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's the thing, that's the parameters of that. Now look at 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4.1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times 
Some shall depart from the faith. Talking about saved individuals, Christians like you and me, giving heed to seducing spirits and what? Doctrines of devils. So in the last days, the trouble comes from inside the church. You see it? And, the and in the last days, the trouble is doctrinal. And one preacher said this not too long ago, but you know what we're going back to as a, as a nation? We're going back to one general judgment. We're going back to one general judgment as, as a basis of all theology for all religions. One no rapture, and it's just jacked. Why? No doctrine. You kick the book out, you kick doctrine out. All right, first, verse 6, same chapter. Verse 6, if, uh, if put thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. You see what Paul just told him? I've given you good doctrine. That's what Solomon said. Solomon said, I give you good doctrine, forsake you not my law. And Paul gave him good doctrine. Let me give you another one. 1 Timothy 4.13, verse 13. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You see that? Now that's to a preacher, but practically applied, you need to give the same, you need to give the same attention, the attendance. You need to read that book. Exhortation is, excuse me, preaching. And doctrine is the correct teaching of doctrinal biblical material. Those three things. You see it? Read the book, get preached from the book, and study it doctrinally, correctly. Those are the three things. Look at uh, 5.17, 1 Timothy 5.17. He says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. You know, if a preacher is not laboring in doctrine, he's not doing it right. You see that? You know, get up here, deliver a cute little homily about the eagles and the birds and the buzzards. Amen. You know, some donkeys in the Bible, you know, giraffes or bears or ants. Oh, there's some good preaching on ants. Ants are a people, not small, right? But if it ain't doctrinal preaching, it ain't right. Amen. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 6, 1 to 3. He says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. All right, so if you don't believe the way God tells you, you blaspheme the doctrine of God. You see it? And, that they, uh, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them uh, because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is most likely a Baptist. <clears throat> He's proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strife of words. Listen, we are the worst bunch. You know why? Because as Bible believers, we believe we have the truth, don't you? And there's something that happens when you believe the truth, you actually assimilate yourself with the truth, which is not 100% wrong, but you didn't write it. And that truth is designed to show you where you're wrong and show you where you need to change. And it's only done through sound doctrine. Uh, look at 2 Timothy 3.10. Doctrine is extremely important in the Bible. 3.10. Paul says to Timothy, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. The very first thing he lists is, you, there is no doubt in your mind, Tim, 
where I stand on salvation, eternal security, eschatology, that's end times. You know about the rapture. You know about the second coming, that doctrinal stuff, Christology, soteriology, the doctrines of the holy, all that stuff. He says, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. How about this? Do people know your doctrine? Let me ask this question. Do you know the doctrines of the Bible? You say, I, I'm new at this, I don't. Well, okay, I guess it's time to get going. Amen. January 1st, lock and load. <laughs> Look at 316. 316, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. We said it, the first application of his doctrine. The second, the second uh, application is for reproof. That's a mild rebuke. See, some people think that it's the pastor's job to get up and cheer everybody out. That's a second or third application. That's not the first. The first application of Scripture is to deliver doctrinal messages to you. Amen. All right, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I'll look at 4.3, 2 Timothy 4.3. And here we are, 2023. Thank you very much. For the time will come. And I'm not adding to the scriptures, but I'll say, and it is here, when they will not endure sound doctrine. A group of people left this church, uh, just a couple here, not too long ago. You know why they, why they left? They sat with me for eight years. You know why they left? Uh, uh, we don't, uh, there's too many, you believe in too many divisions. I'm thinking, my goodness, you sat under my father-in-law for 12 years, and then you come over here, and I'm just guilty of teaching what he believed, but yet I'm guilty of that. Really? What is it? Oh, they won't endure a sound doctrine. You sure that's a little too close? No, it's not. That's the truth. Uh, you sure they didn't leave because you're a, a jerk? Well, I'm a jerk, but you're a jerk too. But that's not why they left. They believe because they accused me of Ruckmanism. Yeah. Ruckmanism. What's that? Oh, that's an excuse to be welcomed in by any other church in this county. You say, what do you think about that? I think two seconds of it. I think it's pretty good. I think the Lord's blessed is fine. Thank you very much. You say you wear it with a badge of honor. No, it breaks my stinking heart to think people would be here for any other reason than sound doctrine. I mean, that's why I'm here. All right, look at Titus 1.9. Titus 1.9. Oh, preacher, you believe in too many divisions. So then you're saying you believe people are saved by looking towards the cross in the Old Testament, and looking back, oh, yeah, we're that crowd. Okay, well, glad it only took you 20, however many years to figure it out. All right, Titus, chapter 1, verse 9. You get the idea that doctrine's important yet? Here it is, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You notice it doesn't say that thou may be able by sound doctrines to win every Bible debate that you enter. That's the way we are as Bible believers. You want to debate. You want to fight. You want to one-up everybody. It says you may be able to what? Convince. Both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Preach at them. Show them where God's lovely, God's righteous, God's holy. Show them how they need Jesus Christ and quit hanging on to the, you know, the apron strings of mother religion and convince them, not win the debate. 
Couple more. Two one. Two one. You can't under you can't underspeak this thing about doctrine. He says in two one, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And that a blessing. That's instructions to the young and the old. You and I ought to receive instruction from the Bible that are doctrinal in nature. Uh, that means I can't be taking you to Matthew 5 and say, Well, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what you really need to do is just go around here and be meek. That's for the Jew in the tribulation as he's getting his head whacked off and eaten. Stupid. Amen. Doctrinal. Say, what's doctrinal? Well, here it is. That the aged men be what? Sober. That's serious. You know, not hilarious, not everything sarcastic, not everything's a joke. And y'all know by now that everything in this life is not a joke. It's serious. This life will chew you up and spit you out. And you and I got to approach things doctrinally, which is soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. So forth and so on. Look at another one, 2-7. In all things showing thyself a pattern of what? Good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. So as a child of God, I can have corrupt doctrine. Corrupt doctrine. Everywhere you don't line up with the book, you might have a good intention, but you're corrupt in it. And you say, well, where did I pick that up? Oh, somebody. You picked it up from some unholy spirit because you sure didn't pick it up from the Holy Spirit. Look at 10. 210. Not purloining. Talking about instructions for servants. Not purloining. Not wasting the boss's time. Amen. Not stealing. Purloining. You see that? That's stealing. Uh, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Man, doctrine's important. I know most of you know that. But I just wanted to load your gun again with all that stuff on doctrine that you realize we're not just over-speaking it. We're not over We don't emphasize it enough. Now, here in 1 Timothy 3, Paul's dealing with the doctrines of grace that override the law, override the law. And Paul's trying to show Timothy there's going to be some that come in and try to teach the law over the grace of God. We're going to stop here in just a second, but I want you to get a hold of this because this is really important. Paul's trying to show Timothy that there's going to be people that come into the church house and try to teach the law over the grace of God. And that's what he's saying. Look what he says. Paul says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul's saying, look, when they get in the church house and they start teaching some other doctrine, you get after them. You get on to them. And that's the job of a preacher. That's the job of a pastor. Now look, things come across the pulpit. They come across rough sometimes. You can't talk to people like that in the community like that. You can't call them stupid. I can hear my mother when I say the word stupid. She's just cringing. <laughs> you can't do that. But you better, you better get it hot from this pulpit. You better receive it. Because when you go out in this community, you're going to have to learn how to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And you're going to have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You can't steamroll them. You're going to have to learn to pull some of them out of fire. Amen? You're going to have to learn how to put some people over hell. And you're going to have to learn to back off on some when you're dealing with them and show them a little bit of grace and show them a little kindness. All right? And uh, we're going to stop here, but I'll leave you this. You'll notice in verse 7 to 10... Some people come in and they're trying to teach the law as a way of salvation. That's where we're going to leave you. And we'll look at this 7 to 10 when we come back here and pick her back up. But in verses 7 to 10, that's why Paul's telling Timothy, he's charging him, look, 
there are some individuals that are going to come into the church house and that thing, you, you would not, you, you'd be surprised how that thing bleeds into your salvation. And a lot of Christians today, you know what they're doing? They're really hanging on to the law and it comes out in the fact of how they live. And we'll cover that thing when we get back together. Pick it up right there. All right. Go get a Timothy.